Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast. My weather expert buddy, Bruce Johnson, joins us via cell phone now from the combine. What are you combining today, Bruce? Uh, it's wheat. wheat. That's what we're doing these days, and we'll be doing that for another probably week, and then we'll hopefully be done with that and get uh, pre-pile for beets and then eventually get uh, canola and soybeans. Hmm. And how is the wheat crop down there in the Lancaster, Minnesota area looking? It's fair. It's not nearly as good as it would be if we hadn't if if we had avoided that deluge in early June. It would be a lot better. Mm-hmm. And we're hearing. I mean, not everybody, but we're hearing very good uh, crops up in this part of the world. Uh, but you guys got a lot more uh, rain early on, as you as you just mentioned. Right. It was seventh of June, and in that era, you know, that area of days, um, we had about half the year's worth of rain in three days, and. It didn't bring out the King's English with a lot of the farmers, I'll put it that way. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. So I won't keep you from combining. Uh, well, mind you, I'm sure you're continuing to combine. I won't keep you long here, though. Um, but I'll tell you, the last couple of days, and I've been having a piece of toast and a coffee in the morning out on the deck, uh, but this week it has really felt a lot cooler. What did I say the current temperature mm-hmm. is? 13 degrees out there 13. now. Here it's kind of cloudy and sort of yucky looking. I mean, our question of the day at CGOB.com talks about the transition from summer to fall, but there hasn't been much of a transition transition we kind of fell off a cliff from summer to fall exactly and it was i saw this storm coming i call it ones like that a season ender because sometimes that happens where you just go from summer to fall and there's nothing in between and so far that's what it looks like in fact there's another cold front that's going to come through probably during the weekend and monday the high might be 13 or 14 that's the high Yikes. temperature Wow. And I think the low last night was six or seven degrees. I mean, it's been a while since we've seen overnight lows like that. So the forecast looks sort of yucky until Thursday. They're saying sunshine in 18, which is, which is, what are the normals for this time of the year, high and low? Um, I'd have to look. It's uh, right around 19 or 20, I think. It's not, and then, you know, it's in the high single digits, but it, it drops very quickly at this point. And it, you know, it just happened to drop really fast. We are below average, and it's definitely going to be below average when we get into early next week, the way it looks right now. And then, you know, sooner or later we'll pick that back up. But I'm, you know, and, and temperatures will come back up. One of the things I'll have in a few days is the La Nina El Nino numbers and see where mm-hmm. we're standing on that because those numbers usually come out about the fourth. I was going to ask you about that because I've been getting text messages and emails uh, from people over the past few days saying, hey, when are you going to have Bruce on uh, to talk about what winter might look like? So, But so far, those numbers, at least so far, uh, they have sort of showed middle of the road. So it's not really going one way or the other. Yeah, it usually is a little bit later in the season before it makes up its mind. But one thing I've been watching is the extreme heat in the southwest, lack of a monsoon season in the desert, and us getting this cold air. So it's ba- the jet stream's backing up the way it normally does during a La Nina winter. So it may be a precursor to it. So it, um, it may be cool for a while. And, of course, it could get very, very cold this winter. We'll have to see. And if it was, so we should explain, you, you sort of did there, but if, if people are confused, La Nina means cold, colder weather. Mm-hmm. El Nino is warmer, and you're thinking it might go colder, eh? 
Right. Right now it's looking like that's going to happen. And that's one of the reasons the hurricane season is so active in the Atlantic and, and of course, the Gulf. And that's that's indicative of uh, La Nina setting up. So everything seems mm-hmm. to be going in that direction. So it, uh, it may be one of these winters where people are lined up at the airport to leave in January to warm up for a while. Yeah. I guess we won't do, we probably most of us won't be doing much of that uh, this year much traveling to get away to a warmer spot either whatever it is we're we're probably going to pretty much for the most part all of us be stuck in it. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, so it won't be um you know self-isolating because of the virus it'll be because you don't want to go outside it's too cold. <laughs> right. Yes. And it's not like you can hop on a plane and and go somewhere hot and and go on a vacation. We don't have that to look forward to this year. All right, Bruce, get back to yeah. combining. Thank you, pal. Appreciate it. And I'll talk to you later. Here's Donald Trump in Kenosha, Wisconsin, when he was asked if his comments and actions are reducing racial tensions and violence. I think it's helping because I'm about law and order. And if you look at uh, the black community, they want the police to help them stop crime. All right, let's bring in Allison Keys from CBS. Allison, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thank you for doing this. Really appreciate it. Uh, is uh, President Trump expected to meet with the uh, Blake family in Kenosha today? Is that going to be happening or not? Well, that is the question of the day, because a couple of days ago, the Trump administration was saying that they couldn't reach Jacob Blake's family. And Jacob Blake's family attorney, Ben Crump, said that seemed odd because uh, the Democratic presidential nominee, Joe Biden, and his vice presidential nominee just called Crump's office and got him. This morning, when he left Washington, he said that he's going to reach out to the pastor of Jacob Blake's mother. But earlier, he said he thought it was inappropriate to speak with Jacob Blake's family because they wanted to include their attorney. So the short answer to that is, we don't know yet. (laughs) We'll wait and see. Um, How is the community reacting to Trump's visit there? I mean, you know, this is so political. Um, The people on one side see it as campaigning and taking advantage of a horrible situation, the shooting of Jacob Blake. And on the other side, uh, Trump supporters see it as him going to an area where, uh, you know, the president should be. How, how is the community of Kenosha, Wisconsin, looking at this, do you think? Well, there was a pretty good mix of supporters on either side. In other words, Black Lives Matter supporters and supporters of the president lined the route from the airport as he went into the city. He's right now in a roundtable. He's traveling with Attorney General William Barr and Acting Secretary of Homeland Security, Chad Wolf. He has spoken to some of the people that lost their businesses during riots. He's talked about how bringing the National Guard in brought the violence there down. But there are other people in that city that think, as you said, that he's trying to capitalize on this. Mm -hmm. An uncle of Jacob Blake said uh, the president's comments over the last four years have basically given police officers an incentive to brutalize black men. And civil rights leader Reverend Jesse Jackson, senior, I should say, has said recent remarks by the president have emboldened and inspired militia members. And in fact, that 17-year-old Trump supporter, Kyle Rittenhouse, who was accused of killing two protesters in Kenosha last week, the president condemned the rioters but did not condemn Rittenhouse. He said he was trying to get away from them, I guess, it looks like, and he fell and then very violently attacked him. So 
there are mixed messages on either side. Everyone wants to see the violence stop. Jacob Blake's family has repeatedly pleaded with people to stop the violence. And there are people in Kenosha who have said that they think some of the violence has been caused by people coming in to the city from outside. But everybody just wants this to be over. They want to have some sort of plan to help reduce racial tensions. And they want a plan to rebuild the city. And uh, I, I, I was reading, too, that the Blake family has organized a, a neighborhood cleanup uh, for today uh, where yep. police shot uh, uh, Jacob Blake uh, seven times, unarmed, seven times in the back. It really has become very political. I mean, it's even got uh, Joe Biden out of the basement, and that's what Trump always says, right? Get him out of the basement. He's out of the basement um, because on on the on the blue side of this, um, it's seen as racial injustice. On the red side of this, Trump at least is trying to paint this as law and order and rioting and, and looting. It, it really is interesting how this has become so political, even more than you would expect. Well, for black people, frankly, this is not so much Democrat or Republican. This is where can we bring up our kids without worrying that our sons are going to be shot to death by police sure. or be shot mm-hmm. by police for driving, for walking, for carrying Skittles? So it's a, it's a lot more than politics. And yep. there have been there's been a lot more attention paid over the last couple of years of these kinds of shootings, which have been going on for my decades in the business. Through my parents' lives, through my grandparents' lives, I don't really know any black people that haven't had some sort of unfortunate run-in with the police. And it's not like there haven't been great run-ins with the police, but for a lot of people, they see it down on the negative side. So they just want this to, want this to stop. And as uh, former President Joe Biden, the presidential nominee, said earlier, I want to be clear about this. Rioting is not protesting. Looting is not protesting. Setting fires is not protesting. I don't see anybody supporting the protesters, but they do want to see a change in the way black people are dealt with. Yeah, absolutely. Um, listen, uh, Allison, thanks for your time on this. Really appreciate it. Have a good one. This morning here at the home studio, I chatted with Kevin Gill at Staff Max, a temp agency. Um, and apparently temp agencies are very busy during the pandemic. Here's my chat with Kevin from a few hours ago. Hi, how nice to speak with you. Yeah, thanks for doing this. So tell us about Staff Max. You guys are seeing more business. We are. Things have, have really picked up the last few weeks. I mean, with uh, COVID, when it first started, a lot of things slowed down for ourselves and a lot of our clients. But in the last month to six weeks, we've really seen an increase in candidates applying for roles all across the board from entry-level, hospitality, general labor, construction, and even in the executive search professional side. A lot of candidates, a lot of requests for employees coming in. So it's really a good sign for the city, and uh, hopefully this keeps up and it's not just a one- or two-month blip that's going on right now. On both sides of this, like you're seeing people looking for work, are you also seeing companies looking for workers? We're Really both. So we're always getting candidates, and we notice a lot of candidates even applying from outside the province, in particular Ontario. But what we're really happy to see is our clients who are looking for employees coming to us for for all kinds of different roles, um, some of them on the temp side because, you know, they're still a little unsure of what's going on in the in the marketplace. So by bringing on a temporary employee, they've, 
got the opportunity to try them out. If they're not too busy, then they can make the change. But a lot of permanent full-time roles have been coming uh, across our desk uh, to fill those roles for our clients as well. And again, across the board, all different types of roles. So really exciting for uh, for us around here and for hopefully uh, the employers around the city as well. And what is your sense, that it is a blip or that this could be an ongoing trend now with the pandemic? You know, I think it really is you know, a change in the whole, in the, in the whole mar- employee marketplace. Our industry, the staffing and recruiting is generally kind of a bellwether. We're two or three months ahead of the employment sector as a whole. People come to us for temporary roles. People start applying for more jobs. So I'm thinking that things are changing. That's what we're seeing. Um, my sense is this is a change that's going on. And it's not just a blip. And what are the benefits to having a temp worker as opposed to going out and hiring somebody for a full-time position? Lots of benefits for, for temporary employees, both for the applicants and the companies. On mm-hmm. the company side, uh, we give them flexibility. So they're not, you know, they bring someone on, they can bring them on for a shorter period of time and they can try the worker out to make sure they're working out. Um, if they're getting busy, but they're a little unsure if this is going to, you know, continue on, they're not taking the risk of bringing these people on permanent full time where they can um, have a temp for a certain period of time. If their business is continuing to grow and stay strong, they can flip that person onto a permanent full-time role. On our permanent search executive search side, that's an excellent sign because those are hired on permanent full-time from day one. And we're really seeing an increase in the permanent full-time executive search type of roles that are coming across our desks. And I imagine as you send people out there to work in different office settings or job sites, you have to be really cognizant of the fact that we are in the middle of a pandemic, COVID-19, and there are requirements, precautions that need to be taken. Absolutely. You know, you know a lot of people are educated on what the you know, COVID rules are in the workplace. We train them on that as well. And in as a matter of fact, Al, some of the roles that we're hiring for are work-from-home roles. Hmm. Okay, So they're not always in the workplace, whether it be an office or a job site. Some of the roles that we are placing people in right now are work-from-home roles. Um, but we've even we've got some roles that are actually the COVID enforcement officers. So companies are actually hiring individuals to manage the COVID um, you know, requirements within the workplace. You mentioned working from home. Is that also a trend that maybe we're going to see more of? You say you're sort of ahead of the curve. Absolutely. I mean, you just have to take a look at uh, the stock market and see that some of those companies that are, are growing so fast, they're all work-from-home related software tools or companies that enable people to work from home more easily or manage people that are on remote job sites. So that's absolutely going to be a trend, and I don't see that changing. Kevin, thanks a lot. No, my pleasure, Hal. Kevin Gill at Staff Max chatted with Kevin uh, this morning. And uh, so, yeah, temp agencies like Staff Max are very busy uh, during the pandemic. We're going to continue to chat about what people are doing to make a buck or two uh, during COVID-19. When Rob Warren joins us, he's a marketing prophet, UND. He'll be with us after the news at 3 o'clock, so just over an hour uh, from right now. Uh, but right now, let's talk La Cheeseburger Week 2020 with Daniel Gervich. Daniel, good afternoon. How you doing, Hal? Thank, thank you for doing this. Really appreciate it. Sorry for the late text message last night, but I, <laughs> I uh, said to Kevin Bergen, hey, it's start of uh, La Cheeseburger Week tomorrow. I want to get somebody on. So I appreciate you uh, getting back to me, and it's great to have you on here. Why this year La Cheeseburger Week instead of just La Burger Week? 
You know, we always like to put a little bit of a twist on it when we can um, and, you know, give, I guess, a common thread around uh, around the event so people can, uh, you know, get a little bit a little bit competitive. But, you know, it's all it's all in the it's all in the name of, of friendly competition, we'll say. But uh, we also have Saputo as a major sponsor as well uh, this year. They've been a huge uh, help for us in past events and with La Poutine Week as well. So, Given that they're a major dairy producer, we might as well uh, promote the cheese while we're at it, too. Sure. And I'll be honest with you. I don't think you can have a burger without having cheese on there. That's just me, though. You know, and it's uh, I, I love to hear people's steadfast rules of what is and what isn't a burger and, and how they <laughs> interpret it, because that's what it's all about. You know, we see we see every interpretation of a burger under the sun throughout the burger week, whether it's, you know, chicken, fish beef vegetarian vegan uh man we've got uh we've got an unofficial participant that's even doing uh burgers for dogs of a full uh homemade dog treat uh burger from from fur baby biscuits so you know everything everything under the sun is a burger right now and uh sometimes some people just have that cheese requirement i feel you i feel you what have you got 130 130 or 131 participants this year the most of any city in canada right yeah, 131 restaurants participating in Winnipeg this year. Um, we tend to have the the lion's share of the market for Burger Week every year, and you know it's just amazing to me to see the amount of, of support that we we get from you know not only restaurants but obviously just the participants in the city. Um, seeing people's plans of how many burgers they're going to take down. Like, listen, it's 2 p.m. on the first day, and I've seen some people that have already had at like five at least, right? So it's uh, it's absolutely incredible to see how how hard people go on this event, uh, you know, tell their doctors not to call me. It's not, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I don't advise. I don't advise. Wow. I'm very happy. Yeah. That do. Yeah. yeah. And, and you know, Winnipeg does, uh, the start was talking about this this morning, Macklin McGurry and McNabb, they were sort of chatting about Winnipeg and burgers. You know, we, we do sort of have a lot of burger joints here, I think. Right. Yeah. I, I would agree. You know, it's, it's interesting. I was, uh, listening to a podcast on burgers the other day because uh, that's what I do in my spare time apparently but um, you know they were talking about you know regional burgers and, and which ones are you know specific to certain regions of the world and you know and I was thinking about Winnipeg and our fat boy and, and yep. how that that you know Greek style you know is our really our regional burger and how many amazing places have perfected that recipe and and people mm-hmm. feel passionately about that I mean I know I personally grew up you know, going to VJs, going to Dairy Whip, you know, going to all these spots, even outside the city, going to Nick's Inn, you know, going to Sonia's Stand, all of these places. And, and you know, it's a debate of which one's the best and who does it right and, and why. And uh, and I love that about Winnipeg. You know, we, uh, we, we tend to take a few things seriously. I would say one is pierogies and another is definitely burgers too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, now, listen, uh, you've added the donate button this year. Talk about that. Yeah, absolutely. So last year we partnered with United Way and uh, had one dollar from every burger sold throughout the competition go directly towards United Way and and ended up raising just shy of $65,000 for food security programs in the city of Winnipeg, which we were ecstatic about, obviously. So wanted to uh, roll off that momentum and partner with them again. Uh, so this year, the choice to donate $1 from uh, the burger sold is optional for restaurants. So it's it's noted on the website and on my Instagram page, Charcoal Collaborative, uh, which restaurants are participating in that. 
But instead of uh, going and voting for your favorite burger, you can just go and donate uh, on behalf of your favorite burger. Um, we just thought it was extra important this year to to uh, raise some funds for food security programs, just knowing, you know, what people are going through right now, uh, especially, and, and wanted to really, you know, just make sure that we're um, rallying around, I guess, the uh, the uplifting part of the festival. Um, you know, all, like I said, it's always in friendly competition, but we just really want to make sure that we're we're showing as much support as possible this year. And, you know, I was checking out some of the burgers, and, and they're all, I mean, I can understand how some people, like you said, some people it's 2 o'clock on the first day and some people have had 5 or 6. I get yeah. it because I see these burgers and I go, oh, well, i got to try, well, try that. Hey, wait a minute, i got to try that one now. So I understand, totally. I, I, I really do understand, um, and I, I don't want to point anybody out or play favorites, but talk about one or two of the crazy ones that you've seen because some of them are really out there. Yeah, it's wild and and totally, you know, I'm uh, I'm the organizer. I got to I got to remain equal, but uh, sure. No, it's you know, we see we see some insane recipes and people going over the top every year, which which I love. Like I saw Kiyu Grills doing a ramen burger and and the way that they've even just presented it is super cool. Um, you know, I think Chop Steakhouse is doing a super decadent burger this year. I know Highs is doing a steak and lobster. I know Saucers is doing their dessert burger again, which I think killed it last year. Uh, Preservation Hall, which is a new one uh, this year. That's uh, run by Tristan, uh, formerly of Peasant Cookery. He's out, mm-hmm. I think, in the old Barley Brothers location there. Yep. He's doing like a duck burger, which looks super, super banging. Um, I saw a lot of chicken burgers, a few spicy chicken burgers that look really good, too. It's just, yeah, like it's crazy. I, I'm Once again, you know, every year I'm like, how can people possibly top what they did last year? And then here they come (laughs) it's amazing final final question here daniel what in your mind and this is personal preference what in your mind is a requirement for a good burger or a good cheeseburger like like what what does it and we won't talk crazy or or la cheeseburger week just what does it take on a burger and you go that's a burger so, I mean, anybody who's heard me do any of these interviews before will will know that I say the same thing, and I, I truly mean it. I think that the epitome of a properly done burger is the Buddy Burger from A&W, if you want to give a shining example. Um, I'm very much keep it simple. I like very few ingredients on my burgers. I don't remember. If, I don't know if you remember a few years ago... Um, it, it was the Ron Swanson done by uh, done by the Cornerstone. Like that was ideal yeah. for me. So, to me, the ideal architecture of a cheeseburger it should be a little bit smaller. Um, so it should be very much a handheld, if not a one hand uh, situation. Uh, caramelized onions, uh, a little bit of uh, ketchup um, for me, uh, but mustard as well. Uh, maybe a touch of mayo, depending on the fat content in the burger itself. Um, and that's kind of it. Like, I, I really don't want much more than that. <laughs> I think that, uh, you know, I always like a very much a self-contained unit of a burger. So something that when it's, uh, you know, it, it, the, the cheese acts as the glue, everything's there. You can kind of hand bomb it. I'd like to be able to drive the car and eat the burger at the same time, essentially. Uh, that, <laughs> there you that's go. Kinda, that's kind of one of my goals. So <laughs> very much the, the simple, almost the slider style burger is, is uh, yeah. right up my alley, personally. Well, and it's funny you'd say that because um, I was over at Pony Corral on Nairn a couple of weeks mm-hmm. ago, and Peter Janakis let me try 
what they're doing at that location, the Bronco Buddies Trio, you get three sliders. Right. And, yeah, I hear what you're saying about one hand and go. I like it. I like it. You know, yeah. I think uh, there's something to be said for variety, too. And, you know, if I, I also mm-hmm. feel a little less bad when I eat. You know, four small burgers rather than one big one. Maybe there you go. Uh, you know, a sure. mental thing. So, yeah. <laughs> Daniel, have a great La Cheeseburger Week. Thanks a lot. Thanks so much. Stay safe and uh, stay healthy. Have a good one, Hal. Hal Anderson Afternoons, the podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.